So we've closed out our Christmas season with the Epiphany, and the following day was the baptism of the Lord, which began Jesus' public ministry. And of course, we could sit and wonder if Jesus was 30 some years old when he was crucified. <coughs> three years of public ministry, what was he doing for those other 30? I'm not sick. I'm just trying to get attention. I'm a very needy person. So what was he doing for 30 years? I think we can surmise that he was learning who he was growing in who he was, growing in his relationship with his father, God. Certainly he was being taught his religion, learning his scriptures. We know he was working with his dad in the carpentry shop. All of these things, an ordinary life, was meant to prepare him for something extraordinary, And I would say the same is true for you and I. Not so much the 30 years or three years, but our whole life is meant to be about learning, growing in our identity of who we are, and out of which comes what we do, our mission. It's not the other way around. Sometimes people think it is the other way around, that what they do is what defines them, and that is not the case. Who we are propels us to do things. Because I'm a Christian, I refrain from certain behaviors and activities, or at least I try. It's not the other way around. It's because of who I am in Christ. And so our whole life should be like Jesus's life of growing in our our in our identity so that when the day comes for our mission to be fulfilled, we can successfully say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Everything I've been about has been an attempt to grow in my love for you or to do what we just sang in our psalm, to do your will. And what is God's will? We heard it in our first reading. We heard it in our second reading. To grow in holiness to grow closer to him who is our creator. And so today, you know, the ordinary time begins, and again, it's a time for us to contemplate on the ordinary things of Christianity. Back to basics. Spring training. Uh, I always have to go back to, you know, why do we do what we do, and how does this say to the world who I am? How does this reveal my belief system. John the Baptist all of a sudden sees Jesus coming, and what does he cry out? What is the title he gives Jesus? There he is, our president. There he is, our king. There he is, our great economic reviver. The one who will change the systems so they'll be fair and equal. There's the one who's going to bring about equality for everyone. All of these could be said to be true, but that's not what John calls him. 
John calls him the Lamb, the Lamb of God, which should, in our minds, at this beginning of, a, of an ordinary time, an ordinary season, should <coughs> well up within us all kinds of imagery from the Old Testament about the point of a lamb. What is the purpose of a lamb? It's not just someone that we wait until he grows enough hair so we can shear him to make a sweater. Is that what you do with a lamb? Wool? Am I right on that or am I wrong? Don't talk about what you don't know. So a lamb isn't just, oh, he's a cuddly, warm little thing that we can sit in our lap and pet. That may be true. I don't know. I don't have lambs, but that's not what the Lamb of God is according to our Old Testament. We would know immediately, oh, this one is the sacrifice. This one will be killed. This one will be offered up. In many ways, in many different circumstances, but ultimately, the whole point of his life is to become an offering. That's the point of a lamb in the Old Testament. And of course, the lamb signifies for the, this type of people their livelihood. All their money was invested in their livestock. And to pull out the best of the best and offer him to God was a great economic sacrifice for the family, for the person who was making the offering. The Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, should recall in our minds Abraham and Isaac. Remember, Abraham took Isaac up the mountain. God put him to the test. Abraham was put to many tests throughout his life. The first one was the, the most simple. You and your wife are going to have so many children, you can't count them all. Oh, I don't know how that's going to happen. I'm in my 90s. With God, anything is possible. So him and Sarah sit and watch the clock, and they do what parents do. No baby, no baby. So what does he do? He fails the test. I know, I'll go to my maidservant. That must have been what God wanted, even though that's not what God said. And he has Ishmael, from which Islam comes. But God made a promise to Abraham, and God is always faithful, even though we are not. And so, eventually, he has Isaac, the beginning of the Jewish faith, and us, her child, Christianity. God takes, asks him to take Isaac, this only begotten, up to the mountain, and sacrifice him. It's a test. He failed the first one, but this one he'll pass. And there they are, and the angel stays his hand. And Isaac says, where's the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide the lamb. And that's the beginning of this whole lamb motif. And then we get to the Passover, the greatest event for the, the children of Israel. That if the blood of the lamb is on their doorpost, the angel of death will pass over it's all this imagery for us shows us that our life is about sacrifice. Not for the sake of sacrifice, but for the sake of acknowledgement. That's first and foremost what it's all about. 
acknowledgement. God did this for me. Psalm 116, all that he's done for me, what can I do for him? I know. I'll take up the chalice of the Lord. I'll become a living sacrifice for him because that's what he did for me. And so as Catholics, we know that our life is meant to be about the forgiveness of sins, not the reform of the culture, although that should be an outcome. But that's not our primary. Our primary is forgiveness of sins. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the purpose that Jesus came into the world, to take away our sins. Not to just be some animal from the the flock, but to be the one who offers himself freely. No one takes it from him. He offers it freely. Again, this is what you and I are called into. Let's go back to the baptism of the Lord. (coughs) Our own baptism is a death to self, a death to our old way. When we were born, we were born, if you will, twisted. Grace could not enter into us. There was a twisting within our soul that blocked grace. And God, as it were, sticks his hand in and reforms so that we can become a vessel of grace. That grace is what changes us. That's where our identity comes from. He has adopted me. I was laying there on the side of the road, abandoned by my own parents, Adam and Eve. And God came along and said, I'll take him. I'll take her. Now I am no longer Nevins. I'm now child of God. I should change that on my passport. You think it'll fly? No, because our world doesn't see it. Because we don't see it. We don't live out of that reality. Our main reality is always our immediate family, our immediate situation, our immediate circumstances, and we fail to see the bigger picture. And so baptism then propels us into a whole new way of life, a life which is sacramental, that what you see is not always what's there. And so realizing that because we're creatures, we're going to make mistakes, sometimes on purpose, sometimes not. And so God gives us a sacrament of reconciliation. Oh, why bother? We can go to God alone. Yeah, you can, but that's not what God asked for. So I don't know. When someone asks you to do something and you say no, what is that saying to that person? What does it say to you as a parent when your child says no? Honey, this is what I would like you to do. No, I can do it the way I think I want to do it, my way. Well, I don't go to confession anymore because I just keep doing the same things over. Yes, you're right, you do. Because you're a creature. The sacrament of reconciliation isn't a magic trick. You don't go in there and all of a sudden, presto, you come out different. What it is, is it's a growing up. It's a maturity. It's an acknowledgement, taking ownership of what you've done. Taking responsibility, which our first parents failed to do. Not my fault, his fault, her fault. Well, it's not my fault, it's genetics. Well, it's not my fault, it's what I ate last night. Went to bed, woke up and ate cold pizza. So I had to sin. 
all these excuses, just take ownership. This is what I've done, and I'm sorry. I don't like it when I do it. I'm sorry. And then hear God's forgiveness. And from there, of course, we receive confirmation, which is giving us strength. Giving us strength to live out in a more evangelical sense who we are in baptism, in Christ, in our identity as son or daughter of God. And it's by the power of the Spirit that this happens. It isn't from water and oil now. It's the Spirit inside of us, propelling us, moving us, giving us courage in the face of threat or danger or perceived threat or danger. God calls us all to a vocation. Everyone is called to a vocation. And of course, there's two that keep the church moving. And there's an element of sacrifice involved. Priesthood, I don't know what the sacrifice involved in is it yet. I'll let you know when I find out. I think it's gravy, to be honest. In many ways, it's a very good life. Wouldn't trade it for the world. I can't imagine living with someone else. I can barely live with myself, people. I wouldn't inflict this on anyone. And matrimony, as you know, element of sacrifice. Babies wiggle and jiggle, and you have to wipe their behinds. You're up with them all the time, and your work is to get them to heaven, to make them holy, to make them saints. I wouldn't want that for the world. I'll pray for you. It's very difficult. And as we're seeing in our culture today, how difficult it is to stay with one person. I mean, we're living longer than we ever have. When you think, 40 years I can do that. 50 years, really? Now we're going on 80? I don't know. You're going to need grace. It's not natural. It has to be supernatural, which is why matrimony gives a grace for, for married people to fall on when life gets hard, to push through, to persevere. And then, of course, the one of, I mean, all these sacraments are downplayed in our world today, aren't they? No one's getting married in the church anymore if they get married at all. Beach wedding is nicer. God's not part of it. Oh, he is because God made nature. Nice. But God is the minister of that sacrament, as he is with every sacrament. God wants to be a part of it. He doesn't like it when his children elope. We already know the shortage of vocations in the priesthood, religious life. We know people don't go to confession anymore. We really don't need priests, do we? If this is all we do and people don't use it, unemployed. The sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Again, the goal is not to get another minute here on earth. That's not God's goal. This earth is good. God made it. But God has a bigger vision in mind. It's called eternity. And he wants to revive people so that they can get back to their work, back to their mission. But sometimes it's just giving them strength to close their eyes, to make that mystical journey we call death. This is our life. 
That's only six. You missed one. Of course I did. It's the preeminent one. It's the one that momentarily I will hold up bread. No. I will hold up the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But if all these other ones, these other six, aren't rightly ordered or participated in, what purpose is the Lamb? Again, it's an affront. We call it sacrilege. We know it's holy. We know what God has asked of us. But we know better. You know, think of the old tem temple sacrifices. It was a bloody mess. It was dirty and smelly. You go up the temple area and there's uh, two doors. One that you... So the mitzvahs are there which you bathe in to make you ritually pure. And then, like a sterile surgeon, you move through the door hoping no one touches you because that would make you unclean and then you got to go back to bathe again. And someone else takes your animal in because if you touch it, then you're unclean, back to the bath. It's really complicated. You get in there and they're slaughtering and slicing and blood is flying everywhere. And then you can leave out the other door, the unclean door, and again cleanse up. <coughs> Thank God. Thank God. <coughs> you and I only have the sacraments. No more bloody mess. But one who said, I will take their place. So our life is meant to be a reflection of appreciation. Not force, not fear. But one that has reflected and said, were it not for him, I would not be alive. Were it not for him, I would have no future. Were it not for him, I would have no identity, no inheritance. I would have nothing. So today, we praise the Lord with John the Baptist. We praise the Lord for the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world and invites us to join him in this incredible journey we call religious life.